0: Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Joshua chapter 13, and now you're going to see some of the land allocated to given tribes. And then the Levites have kind of a special deal that goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Here's Joshua chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and Gadites had received the inheritance Moses gave them beyond the Jordan to the east, just as Moses, the Lord's servant, had given them from aror on the rim of the arnon valley along with the city in the middle of the valley all the Medeba plateau as far as uh, Daiban. there's a there's a modern city uh, there's a there's a modern city that, that bears a similar name uh, it's it's called uh, tel diban but archaeological evidence suggests that that area wasn't inhabited at this time so it could be Modern Tel Diban, but uh, archaeological evidence suggests that the location of this Diban was in a different place. And all the cities of King Sihon of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon to the border of the Ammonites, also Gilead and the territory of the Gesherites and the Maccathites, all Mount Hermon and all Bashan to Selica, the whole kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Adre, he was one of the remaining Rephaim or Rephaim. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing these, and you're a Bible scholar. Uh, Ashtaroth, you can see, like, the, the connotations of this name with pagan worship, the Ashtoreths, uh, and then you know these names, uh, Og, you know, and, and Bashan, but this name, the Gesherites, they're going to have a part to play in uh, the reign of King David. We'll look at that in a moment. Moses struck them down and drove them out, but the Israelites did not drive out the Gesherites, the Machathites. so Gesher and Macath still live in Israel today. He did not, however, give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. This was their inheritance, just as he had promised. The food offerings made to the Lord, the God of Israel. So, let's let's look at how um, let's let's look at how the the Geshurites have a part to play in the story of David. Zoom way ahead. Okay, I know that we're we're going all over the place in the historical timeline. that's just because that's what the text is doing. Remember, at this point. Uh, The Israelites have won. They've conquered the land. They haven't driven everybody out. So from conquering the kings that were listed in in our previous devotion and now allocating the land, uh, from defeating those kings, the work wasn't totally done. Now you have to actually allocate the land to the tribes and there are still some Canaanites living there. So it's not just a matter of pulling up the rider moving van and unpacking your boxes and setting up your Xbox. Like now you, you do still have a little bit of fighting left to do. In fact, Caleb's got some giants to slay in order to claim his individual piece of the promised land. And, uh, as, as they, as they take control of the allocations given them, you can see that these remnants like, uh, like the Gesherites, Israel, Israelites did not drive out the Gesherites and the Macathites. So Gesher and Machath still live in Israel today. Um, this would be the case all the way forward in time to the reign of King David. So in a text that has gone all the way back to Abraham and Genesis, described some of the conquests of Moses, just detailed uh, the victorious campaigns and the leadership of Joshua, we zoom way out and now we can even look forward because unlike the original recipients of the book of Joshua, we have what comes next, right? In fact, we've, we've studied it and it's not good, the book of Judges. Second Samuel, chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Ammon by Inoam, the Jezreelite. His second was uh, Hiliah by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Car- uh, Carmelite from Mount Carmel. This is where we get the command not to mark your bodies for the dead in, as, as tattoos, meaning like don't do what the Carmelites did. And the third was Absalom, son of Makkah, the daughter of King Talmai of Geshur. So Absalom is a son of David who is going to cause a lot of havoc. He's the best looking dude in town and he uses L'Oreal on his beautiful hair. It ends up actually getting caught in a tree and he hangs by it, which is, I mean, there's some symbolism in that. But where Absalom came from was was this Geshurite woman whom David married. Again, like we talked about in previous devotions, God never never prescribed or ordained uh, polygamy. But we see men of God practice it. And then God work through it. So uh, because Gesher the uh, because the Gesherites were still among the Israelites as per uh, as of the, the conquest of Joshua, it sets the stage for problems for Israel generations later. Now let's let's close by talking about this last verse verse 14 uh, God didn't give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi uh, what's, what's wrong with Levi? They, they make great genes. Why wouldn't they get, you know, a piece of the promised land like everybody else? It's because they had inherited the priestly mantle, you know, first exhibited by Melchizedek and then appointed to Aaron. <laughs> and then the Levitical priesthood is this This tribe within Israel whose job was to, like, carry the ark into the Jordan River, for example, in chapters 3 and 4 upon the miraculous crossing of the Jordan, and uh, to carry out the sacrificial system as prescribed by God through Moses and carried out by subsequent generations of Israelites. The Levites were priests, and as a pastor, I'm close to a modern New Testament equivalent, but modern pastors are different from Old Testament priests in several ways. First of all, because we know the name of Jesus, and they didn't know the name of the Messiah yet. The Messiah hadn't come yet. We live under a different covenant, so we're we're no longer bound by a sacrificial system whose whole point was to point forward to the Messiah, forward to the Messiah, forward to the Messiah. Today, at the Redemption Church, where I'm, where I'm one of the pastors, we don't carry out sacrifices in anticipation of the Messiah, because to do so would be sacrilegious and even blasphemous. It would be to revile Christ's sacrifice, denounce Jesus as the, as the Lord. So we don't do anything the Old Testament priests did, because Jesus has come. And those things are no longer necessary, and in fact, it's blasphemous to do them, because you're presupposing that the Messiah hasn't come. Now, here's how God looked after the priests. It's not too dissimilar from how God looks after modern pastors. Look at our series, "The God of All Comfort," uh, and our series, "Into the Fray." Those are the books of First uh, and Second Corinthians, and in those you see how God prescribes a process whereby the church works, and it's not entirely dissimilar from the way that Old Testament Israel worked. The Levites got their portion. They got their their livelihood. There are going to be 48 cities kind of scattered throughout so that everybody had access to the Levitical priesthood. That's another reason why they're not given a, a plot of land is because then everybody have to travel to them to carry out worship. Instead, they go out to all the lands. They have, you know, room for for livestock and crops and things like that. But it's nothing like the huge swaths of land that are given to, you know, half the tribe of Manasseh, for example, or Judah. Rather, they are scattered among... The peoples. They're part of a different tribe, but they live among the other tribes. And they live off of what people give to God's house. See? In 1 Corinthians 9, God says that those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. Now, this does not preclude bivocational pastorates. Even the man through whom the Holy Spirit inspired those words was bivocational. He subsidized his life through tent making. But his primary objective, and what he did, and what he commissioned Titus to do around the island of Crete, was to establish these full-time pastors who would make their living off of the gospel, so they give their full attention, and all of their time to the ministry. In that regard, Saul or Paul's ministry bore exponentially more fruit than a pastor's would. I've, I've sometimes suspected that the richest people in heaven are going to be seminary professors. So here's here here's how the that here are the roots of that. Promise to to the Levites in Deuteronomy 18. Okay, so we just went farther back in time. Now we're back in Moses' era. Here's where this is commanded. The Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi, will have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They will eat the Lord's food offerings. That is their inheritance. Part of the sacrificial system included killing animals, and as a result, symptomatically, a byproduct is some pretty good grilled meat. Well, guess what? The meat itself, the byproduct of the sacrifice itself, had a nutritional value to the priesthood and its spiritual value was realized through its symbolism. Nothing about that animal actually took any sin away from anyone who ever sacrificed an animal in the entire Old Testament. The author of Hebrews says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So, once you've carried out this sacrifice that anticipates the ultimate sacrifice that's Christ on the cross, once that's done, the byproduct is food for the priests. Right? And so that this was this was spelled out in Deuteronomy eighteen. And now we have just seen for the first time in multiple generations at long last, uh, we can see how it's beginning to get carried out here. In um, in the book of Joshua, you'll notice that there is no plot of land that says Levi on it. All right, there's nothing for the Levites because the Levites live all over the place in 48 cities scattered across the tribes. Man, God is fulfilling His ancient promises in the book of Joshua, and He still does today. We too have some ancient promises from God. God did everything that He said He would to. Israel. And he's still got more to do through Israel. In fact, the next prophecies on the docket to be fulfilled in Israel are mass revival in Israel. And he's got prophecies that affect Gentile nations too, all of us together. And God is not slow in keeping his promises, as we understand slowness. He is patient with all of us. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He knows that not everybody will. But in his time, God carries out everything he's ever promised to do. In the book of Joshua, we see ancient promises fulfilled. So, consider this as an interpretive lens for prosperity teaching. Oftentimes, in popular worship lyrics, there's a claim that's made. God promised me this or that. And sometimes I can't sing those words. Sometimes my hands will come down (laughs) during those lyrics if I'm at a corporate worship gathering, you know, uh, that's not the Redemption Church and and, and some of the lyrics come through, and they're not biblically sound, because we, we can sometimes assume God promised us things like this that they're not in the Word of God, that God never made. And these promises may not be for you or for your generation. The promises that God made to Abraham were fulfilled several generations later. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had sons. And those sons had sons. And then these sons were the progenitors of Israel. And then Israel becomes the slaves of Egypt. And then the slaves of Egypt uh, escape. And then they wander in the desert for an entire generation. And the generation after that is the one who finally receives the promise that was made all the way back in Genesis to Abraham. God decreed things in Deuteronomy. That's the second law, the second iteration of the law through Moses. And that, that foreshadowed something that would take centuries to actually finally be realized here in the book of Joshua. Romans eight twenty eight is absolutely true. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we sometimes look at that in a singular microcosm. We take something that God intends to be generations in scope, as it was for the case of the promise to the Levites, the promise to Abraham, the promises through Moses, and we look at it like it's going to happen to us in the next six months' time. That is a myopic view of the scope of the promises of God, because those who delight in the lord don't just include your generation god works all things together for the good of those who love him not just those who love him today, but those who will love him in future generations. It could be that what we sometimes describe as the promises of God are not a raise in a bigger house, a nicer car, and delivery from health issues. It could be a promise of God to be realized in generations future. All of this is within the sovereignty of God to know. But one thing we can see is evidence in scripture, God keeps every promise he ever makes. Now, would you be okay with it if your great grandkids are the ones who benefit From your labor in the Lord today and experience the blessings and promises of God, I think up in heaven above, you'll be just fine.